glad y'all are here. Christmas is a family time, and I'm always, um, honestly, a little surprised, but blessed when people are willing to bring their family here, so hopefully we won't embarrass you too much. Um, It's interesting, we've had four Advent readings, and three of them have all been the same passage, so you could either say that's poor planning on our part, or... um, that the, there's a particular place where the Lord seems to have us focused for this month, and so I'm going to choose that because the poor planning would fall on me. So I'm going <laughs> to say that this is the Lord uh, speaking to us. This is, again, is Isaiah 9. Um, Nancy read this a minute ago. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We've been using this passage for the past three weeks as kind of our springboard to talk about uh, Jesus' birth and Christmas and all that. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus as our Prince of Peace. Last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus is a king and has a kingdom. This morning, I want to look at something that you may or may not really um, have spent a lot of time thinking about, this idea of wonderful Counselor, um, I don't know if you spend a lot of time on that, but Jesus also is a wonderful counselor. And kind of in our therapeutic culture, the immediate response might be to think of Dr. Phil or something like that, that Jesus is a great therapist. Wonderful counselor is a great therapist, but that's, he is, but that's not what this is about at all. Um, this idea of being a wonderful counselor has nothing to do with counseling in the way that most of us think of counseling. Uh, another way, maybe a better way, would be a wonder planner or a wonder-working planner. Um, here's some verses from Isaiah to help you kind of flesh this out. Isaiah 14:24 says this, The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will stand. The word translated purpose in that passage is the same word translated counselor in ours. Um, Isaiah 23, 9, The Lord Almighty planned it. The word translated planned in that passage is the same as counselor. And are, so you get the idea that this idea of counselor is not therapist, it's planner or purposer, if I can make up that word. Um, wonderful, Isaiah 25, 1 says this, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things you planned long ago. That word marvelous things is actually one word, it's the same word wonderful, translated in our verse. This is Exodus fifteen eleven. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? Working wonders. That word wonders is the same thing as wonderful. And finally, Psalm seventy-seven, fourteen: You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. That word miracles is the same as wonderful. So you see, wonderful is not an adjective like great. It's wonder-working or miracle-working. So if you put those things together, you get it. Wonderful counselor is wonder-working planner or wonder planner, something like that. It doesn't really have the catchy ring that wonderful counselor does. So maybe that's why they ditched it. But... That's what it means. And we miss that. It's not Dr. Phil. It's not your psychiatrist. It's Jesus, whatever. That's not what this passage is about. He can help you with your individual problems, but that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about a king. This was the awaited Messiah. These guys have been waiting for hundreds of years for this guy to come, and they weren't looking for someone that they could lay down on the couch next to and tell their problems. They were looking for someone who literally would change the world. This is the wonderful counselor, the wonder-working Planner, And if you've spent any time um, either reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John or hearing stories from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you've, you get that Jesus worked wonders. That's 
part of what he did. This is just a list. I just pulled this together. This is from Mark, which is the shortest gospel by far. These are some of the things Jesus did. He drove an evil spirit out of a man in the synagogue in Capernaum. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He healed all the sick and demon-possessed who came to him from this one particular town. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a paralytic. He healed a man with a withered hand. He healed so many people that he had to teach in a boat because the sick were pressing in to touch him. And when the evil spirits saw him, they fell down and cried out, You're the Son of God. He calmed a raging storm. He healed a demon-possessed man who was living in a graveyard. He raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. He healed a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. He fed 5,000 men, probably 12 to 15,000 people, with five loaves of bread and two fish. He walked on water. He drove an evil spirit out of a little girl. He fed 4,000 other men with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. He healed a blind man. He healed a boy who was possessed by an evil spirit that uh, tried to kill him. He healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. He cursed a fig tree, and it withered in one day. Also, by the way, he was born of a virgin, um, and he was raised from the dead. So his life, beginning to end, that's the shortest gospel. There's more if you read Matthew or Luke or John. And they're not just repeats of the same stories. And we just have the highlights. According to John, he says, if I told you everything that he did, there wouldn't be enough room to write all this, that the world couldn't hold the books for all the stuff that this guy did. He worked wonders. He was a miracle worker. That's what he did. Wonderful counselor, yeah. He was a wonder-working planner. He set out to work wonders, and then he carried them out. That's who he was. And most of us don't really have a problem with that. Great. Check it off. Most of us believe the Bible to some extent, and if you believe the Bible, you can't really get around the fact that Jesus worked wonders. And we don't really have a problem with that. The issue for me, for us today, is if Jesus is still the Prince of Peace, if Jesus is still the King, well, is he still the Wonderful Counselor? If we would still say that he's those other two things, and we don't have a problem with that in our life, do we have a problem with him being a wonder planner or a wonder-working planner? In our life, is that an element of who he is that we would say, "Yeah, I get that in my life." Most of us get him as a prince of peace. There have been times in our life when we've needed that, or we get him as a king. But do we get him as this wonderful counselor, this this miracle-working, wonder-working God? There's a cluster of about seven words in the New Testament that can be translated "amazed." Um, Some of them mean kind of like astonished, some bewildered, some wondered, but. Basically, they all have the same underlying definition of amazed. 87 times in the New Testament, you can go count. You'll see one of these seven words. 60 of them are in the Gospels. Three-fourths of the time these words appear is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The idea of amazement is concentrated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it all centers around the ministry of Jesus, which, based on that list, is not hard to fathom. If you see someone raised from the dead, you're probably going to be amazed. Period. That's what it's going to do for you. If you see... If you're one of these 12,000 people and you see that he's got five loaves of bread and two fish and then you see that you're eating as much as you want, you're probably going to be amazed. That's the result of seeing all of these miracles. People were amazed and people were amazed everywhere Jesus went. And they weren't just amazed at what he did. Everybody likes a good show. They were amazed at the miracles, but they were also amazed at his teaching. Mark 1.22 says that people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as someone who had authority. They were also amazed at his character. In Mark 15, 5, Jesus is standing before Pilate, and these people are making these false accusations, and Jesus doesn't say anything. And Pilate says, aren't, aren't you going to say something about this? And he remains silent. In Mark 15, 5, it says Pilate was amazed. He was amazed at Jesus' character, that he didn't come back at all of these false accusations. He didn't try 
to defend himself. Everywhere he went, just about everybody was amazed. Luke 2.47, everyone who heard him was amazed. Luke 4.36, all the people were amazed. Luke 5.26, everyone was amazed. The Jews were amazed. People who didn't really get him. John 17, uh, John 7.15, it says the Jews were amazed. and said, where did this guy get all of this learning? Those who knew him very well were amazed. Matthew uh, 13.54, Jesus goes home to Nazareth and he's talking to them. And at, at the end, he's amazed at their lack of faith. And at the beginning, they're amazed by him. These are guys who grew up with him. They knew him as well as anyone. His disciples were amazed. People who spent 24 hours a day with him for three years. They were people who hated him were amazed. In um, Mark, uh, I think it's 12-ish, the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus so they can kill him. And they say, you know, do we give, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the, thing that, the things that are God. And they're amazed. It says, in the, they were amazed at his response. They didn't even like him. And they were amazed by him. Pilate, who ordered him to be crucified, was amazed by him. It, it's Christmas. If you go back and read the story in Luke, you'll see that there was a lot of amazement around the birth of Jesus, around the conception of John, the conception of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, what was said about Jesus when he was dedicated at the temple. Just You'll see these words, astonished, wondered, amazed, throughout those first two chapters of Luke. He amazed Pilate on the last day of his life. That's what he did. Everywhere he went, everyone who saw him, whether they were strangers, whether they were Friends, whether they were disciples, whether they were enemies, whether he, they heard him, whether they saw him, they were amazed by him. He, if it's not an oxymoron, he routinely provoked amazement. Everyone who was around him routinely was amazed. If you can be routinely amazed. That's what was going on. Everywhere Jesus went. And so the question for me, I was thinking about this, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he was the wonder-working planner then, and... This brief three-year snapshot of his life that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If everybody all the time was amazed by him, how come I'm not? And maybe, how come you're not? If he's still the same, are you amazed? And I don't mean that in any way condemning. I'm just asking a question. I wonder if a lot of us are missing an entire dynamic of how Jesus wants to relate to us. Because we're not amazed. I wonder, and this, this was not a setup at all, but when you were thinking about answering that question, when was the last time you were amazed, if any of it had anything to do with the Lord? And if we had asked, if Brandon had asked, when was the last time you were amazed by God, would any of us have anything? Like how far back would we have to go to say we were truly amazed by the Lord? And maybe you got something from this morning and you're a better person than me. That's wonderful. But I know for me, I'm thinking, I don't know. When was the last time I was amazed by the Lord? And ask you as well, if he's still the same. People were amazed by his character. He's got the same character today. People were amazed by his teaching. We've got the greatest hits right here. We don't have everything he's ever said, but we've got the best stuff right here. It's the same teaching. People were amazed by his miracles. He said when he left, he would send the Holy Spirit and we would do greater things than he did. So we've got the character, we've got the teaching, and we've got the deeds. They're all available to us, exactly the same, even better with the miracles. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be amazed. If that's what Jesus does as the wonderful counselor, if he provokes amazement, I wonder how come he doesn't do it so much 
now. Now, I will say this. Nowhere in the Bible where you'll, there's no command to be amazed by God. Jesus never says, thou shalt be amazed. Or, none of that is in there. Amazement is a spontaneous reaction to something. God never commands us how to feel. So, no one's going to hell because they're not amazed. And you may think, listen, that's all I can do right now. I'm, you talk to me about sin and righteousness, and that's as far as I can go. This sounds like extra credit Christianity. And I would just, it's not a sin to not be amazed. But, we've talked about this a lot, we live out of our hearts. And if there's, if Jesus routinely provokes amazement, and he doesn't in me, I wonder what that says about my heart. If, I go, if the Grand Canyon is jaw-dropping, and I see the Grand Canyon and my jaw does not drop, it's probably not the Grand Canyon's fault. And that's kind of how this is with the Lord. If Jesus is amazing, and I'm not amazed... It's probably not on him. It's not a sin, but does it say something about my own heart if I'm not amazed by a guy... You heard the list. If I'm not amazed by a guy who does all of those things, what's going on with me? You've read the things that he's taught. He turned the world upside down with the things that he taught. Nobody will say that there was a greater uh, revealer of truth than Jesus ever, whether they're Christians or not. He's the top of the food chain. If that doesn't amaze me, what's going on with me? In terms of his character, he's the best example of how to live life of anybody ever. If that doesn't amaze me, what does that say about my heart? It's not a sin. I just wonder what it says about me if I'm not amazed by an amazing person. What's going on in my heart? Um, i got a few theories, and you can try these on and see if any of them fit. Um, One thing, I think, one reason... Uh, maybe I'm not or we're not amazed by the Lord is because we're busy. We live here. Busyness is an enemy to just about everything God wants to do. And I can't think of anything positive busyness brings to the table. But we all struggle with it. New Year's resolution time's coming up and we're going to have our weight and our finances and our time. That's what most of us do. It's one of those three. Every year. And that's not pessimistic. That's just reality. We struggle with those things all the time. We don't want to be busy. If you're busy, don't hear me heaping things on your head. That's the last thing you need. One more thing for you to think about. And one more thing for you to try to do when you're already doing too much. But that's one of the things that keeps us from being amazed. We're in too much of a hurry. God sent you an email last week and said, Hey, I want to amaze you. Did you have any time? When would he have... Was there any space in your schedule? If he said, Hey, I want to amaze you in the future, how far out would he have to contact you for you to work him in? Think about it. It take, You need space. To be amazed by the Lord. The feeding of the 5,000, that was one of his, that's an epic miracle. We've said that's the only one other than his resurrection that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It happened at the end of the day. I'm thinking if I saw the brochure all day teaching with Jesus, 8 to 5, no lunch break, I'm not going. Are you, do you have 8 to 5 to give? No. We go for a little bit. We squeeze it in here and there. And we would have missed it. Because we can't give him all day. And I'm not saying that you've got to give him all day. You've got st- we all have things. We have life to live. But is there any space for him to amaze you? Because if you're in a hurry, you're going to miss it. Some of you might have said the last time you were amazed was a sunset. The sunset's every night. How many nights do we miss it? Again, that's not a condemning thing. It's just it's the reality of where we live. We're busy. And to combat busyness, and this doesn't make sense, is you have to give him more time. That's the one thing you don't have to give is time. You don't have any, but that's what you have to give. 
if you're going to not be busy. In Mark 1.30, there's all these people pressing in on Jesus and he's, it's, he's healed just about the whole town and people are crowding around him and so he leaves to go pray. As his schedule got more hectic, he gave more time to the Lord. And the same thing is true for us. If, as you get busier, you actually have to give more time to God. I'm not saying you've got to pray for two hours in the morning, but you've got to make space in your day or you're going to miss it. You won't be amazed because you'll be in too big a hurry. Some of you have been praying for things. Some of us, we pray for things, and then we see them happen, but we're in so much of a hurry, we don't even have time to really be thankful for what we got. Because we're on to the next thing so quick. There's so many things coming at us. And again, that's not a condemning thing. That's just the reality of where we live. We'll talk some more in January about how to break that cycle. But just know, one of the reasons a lot of us aren't amazed is because we don't have time. We don't have time to be amazed. Another reason, I think, um, when Brandon asked you to... uh, Think of what amazed you. I wonder how many of you thought of a first-time experience. Brandon said it was the, the, the third, their third kid, but I wonder how many of us it was a first-time experience. The, kind of the nature of amazement is the more exposed we are to something, the less amazing it becomes. It's a spontaneous reaction, and the more you're exposed to something, the less amazing it becomes. Again, if we think of the Grand Canyon, probably the park rangers at the Grand Canyon are more dulled to its amazingness, if I can make up a word, than me, who's never seen it. My reaction, if I show up there tomorrow, is going to be different from someone whose reaction who shows up there every day for work. I don't know if familiarity breeds contempt, but it does breed complacency. And the more familiar we get with something, the less capacity it has to amaze us. The rub there is, when it comes to being a Christian, the goal is to get to know God better. That's John 17.3. This is eternal life, knowing God. So that's the arc that we're on as Christians is we're supposed to be getting to know God better. That's what we talk about all the time. That's what you hear. You've got to get to know God better, get deeper with the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But we've got this stream that says he's amazing and this stream that says get to know him better. And they seem to pull against each other because as I get to know him better, I become familiar with him. And that seems like that's going to diminish my ability to be amazed. Because familiarity breeds complacency. We're not as amazed by things that we routinely see, for the most part. I think the, maybe the key to that, the key to everything, I think, when it comes to being amazed, and again, amazement is a reaction. You can't make yourself be amazed. Either you are or you aren't. Uh, I do think there's some things that we can cultivate to have an amazable heart, if I can make up, that's like the third word I've made up. If you want to have an amazable heart, I think there's some things you can do. One is to create more space. The other is to be like a kid. To have a childlike heart. Those of you who've been around kids, especially under five, they're amazed all the time by nothing. They are. Nothing things. And you may say, well, that's because everything's new to them. And I'd say, yeah, you're probably right. That's the reason they're amazed is because for a, a, a kid, especially one under five, a lot of what they experience every day, they're experiencing for just the first or second or the third time. There's always new. And so they're always amazed. And, but we're not kids. We're adults. Some of you have been Christians for more than 10 years, and you may think, I've kind of tapped out God's amazingness. What else is there? I've known him for a long time. I've you know, read the Bible in a year, every year for five years, and I know it, and I know what he's going to do, and we get the, we're familiar with God. We're comfortable with him, and we think we've tapped out his ability to amaze us. But we haven't. If you're going to be amazed by the Lord, you, gotta, you have to be like a kid. You have to assume that there's new to God. God is infinite and we're 
finite. And by definition, finite can never hold infinite. It can't. We don't get that. And you can't. It doesn't, because our minds are finite, we can't grasp that. You can never, I can never, we can never grasp all that there is to know of God. God could do something new. I mean what I'm saying. Every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year, on and on and on, and still have more. He doesn't run out of new things. He's infinite and we can't get infinite because nothing we know is Everything ends for us. But with God, nothing ends. There's always something new. Lamentations 3.23 says, His mercies are new every morning. It's not just a sweet hallmark card. That's real. His mercies can be new every morning. But for a lot of us, we kind of have a little bit of a kind of a jaded, kind of cynical view of life. And we don't look for the new. And that's, you know, in, in our world, a childlike heart will get you killed. I mean, that's a big bullseye on your back and you will get chewed up and spit out. And so it's hard to maintain that childlike heart before the Lord because if you maintain it in the world, you're probably going to get trampled. But that's kind of the choice you have. Are you going to be vulnerable to the Lord and have this childlike heart that says, there is something new, there is something more, I can be amazed, or are you going to protect yourself and kind of get jaded and maybe a little bit cynical? Kind of the, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, that was kind of where that dude was. Some people say that was where Solomon was. He's tried everything, and there's nothing new under the sun, and everything is just labor and toil, and it's not good, and it's not bad, it's just blah. And that's where some of us get. You're never going to be amazed if that's where you are. You might have got there for great reasons, but if that's where you are, you're never going to be amazed. At some point, you've got to recultivate a childlike heart that's kind of innocent and exploring and risk-taking and willing to say there's something new out there for me and to expect the Lord to do that. We're not amazed because we're scared. Some of us are we're just we're too afraid. The other side, whatever the heart condition that allows you to be amazed also allows you to be disappointed. And nobody likes to be disappointed. And the way um, we kind of protect ourselves from being disappointed is we manage expectations. If I don't expect you to meet me for lunch tomorrow, then if you don't show up, you can't disappoint me. Because I didn't expect you to come anyway. And if you do come, then I'm surprised. But you can't disappoint me because I didn't think you were going to come anyway. And that's what we do. We manage expectations to keep ourselves from being disappointed. Now, nobody wants to be disappointed. It doesn't feel good. It's not fun. But when we protect ourselves from being disappointed, whatever that shuts down in our heart, that also shuts down the same place that allows us to be amazed. It's, it's two sides of the same coin. The thing that will allow you to be devastated will also allow you to be amazed. So we have to decide. At some point, if you're, if you're a Christian for long, I can guarantee you God will disappoint you. Don't be surprised. He will. We're disappointed when our expectations aren't met. Sometimes, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, sometimes we have bad expectations. They're off and we miss the Lord. He, he's going this way and we're going this way and He doesn't do what we think and we get disappointed. Sometimes our expectations are right on the money, but this mystery of how God works and human freedom and all that, things just don't happen the way we think they should. And we get disappointed. If you Talk that you know it. If you've been a Christian for very long, you've been disappointed by the Lord. If you haven't, you will. And that's nothing on God. That's us and the fact that we get disappointed when our expectations aren't met. 
And we're fallen people and our expectations are not always going to be perfect. At some point, we're going to be disappointed and it's not going to feel good. And in that moment, we have to choose. Am I going to protect myself from being disappointed again and shut off the ability to be amazed? Or am I going to risk being disappointed again in exchange for being amazed? And you have to choose. Nobody can decide. You're not going to hell if you shut off your heart and say, I'm not going to be amazed anymore. You'll still get into heaven. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a heaven-hell issue. It's a relating to Jesus issue. He says he's a wonderful counselor, a wonder worker, a wonder working planner. That's who he is. Just like he's a prince of peace, just like he's an everlasting father, just like he's a king. Do you want him to be that in your life? If you do, then you have to take a risk. The way you combat fear is through faith, which is not, that's, not, that's nothing gushy in here. Faith is choosing to trust. And you'll have opportunities today and tomorrow and next week and next month to choose to trust or to choose to not trust. You can either choose to trust God and risk being disappointed or you can choose to protect yourself because you don't want to be disappointed. Many of us are not amazed because we don't give God the chance to amaze us because we're afraid of being let down. I think there may be a few people in here. Your issue is not that you want to be... You're, you're not afraid of being disappointed. You're afraid of God looking bad. You're unwilling to really trust the Lord because you don't want Him to look bad in front of other people. The result is the same, but your heart's different. Your heart is not, I don't want to be hurt. It's this kind of, you want to protect God's reputation. That's bad too. It's noble, but He doesn't need His reputation protected. And even if He did, you think you're the one to do it? I'm not. He doesn't need that. He's a big boy. He can handle his own reputation. And actually will enhance his reputation if you're willing to live in faith and risk being disappointed. Because it shows what he's worth. And it shows that you're willing to put your trust in him, even if things don't work out for you. Sometimes people who've been disappointed in the past, when someone else sees them risk again, it blows them away. Why in the world would you go back when... It didn't work out last time. And you're going to put your heart out here again. And you say, because I believe and because he loves me and all of those things. There's not very many stronger testimonies than that. So sometimes we shut down whatever in our heart that allows us the amazable part of our heart is also the part of our heart that can be disappointed. And you you get get neither of them or you get both of them. You can't say, I'm going to be amazed without also saying I'm opening myself up to being disappointed. It's kind of like the same thing with love. You can't say you're going to love somebody, but I'm never going to be betrayed. The same, the same thing that allows you to love people allows you to be hurt when someone betrays you. And so you've got to choose. Are you willing to risk betrayal for love? Are you willing to risk disappointment to be amazed? There's two times in the gospel where Jesus is amazed. Once he's amazed um, at someone's lack of faith, and once he's amazed at the amount of someone's faith. There was a, a centurion who, who was a kind of a Roman soldier, Gentile, wouldn't have been, you know, a follower of Jesus. He was a Gentile, and he had um, a daughter who was sick, and he came to Jesus and said, you, I need you to come and take care of my child. And actually, he said, I need you to heal my child. And Jesus said, well, I'll come to your house. He said, no, I don't, no. And um, I'm a man under authority, and I know how this stuff works. All you have to do is say the word from here, and she'll be healed way over there. And Jesus was amazed at this person's faith. 
And there's another story we talked about earlier where he goes to his hometown and he starts talking and it says they're amazed at what he's saying. But as they get into it a little more, then they start saying, well, isn't this just Joseph's son? And isn't he just a carpenter? And didn't he just live down the street? And we knew his brothers and we knew his sisters. And what's he doing all this stuff now? And it says Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. And so I just wonder for us, and this is not a condemning thing, if he was going to be amazed with us, would he be amazed by how much we believe or by how much we don't believe? If he were to be amazed with us. I know which side I would like to come down on. I'm not sure that's the side that I would come down on. At the end of the day, us not putting faith in Jesus is bad for us. It hurts us. Because if if we're not living in faith, he has a lot less to work with in our life. There's just less stuff he can do. And if you believe that that guy that we read about in Isaiah 9, if you believe that's Jesus, and you believe he's already been born, then he's still a wonderful counselor. He's still this wonder-working planner, and he wants to be that in your life. And yeah, you're going to have to take a risk. But look what's your, the upside. All of those things that we read about in Mark are still available today. All of the things that you read that he said are still true today. His character, he says that he wants to give that to us today, if we're willing to risk. You guys can come back up. We're going to spend some time in worship There's not really a lot. Uh, Amazement is a reaction, and there's not a whole lot we can do to, you know, we can set off some fireworks or something, but there's not really anything beyond that that we can do, I can do, or we can do to cultivate an atmosphere of of amazability. That's my fifth word of the day. All we can do, if Jesus is amazing, then being in his presence is enough. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just, I'm going to ask the Lord to come uh, as we worship and to, to minister into our hearts. If there's something in your heart that you think, yeah, I've closed myself off from being amazed, then deal with it. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I want to be amazed by you again. And open yourself up to him again. If you're too busy or you're too scared or you've, maybe you've just gotten complacent in your relationship with the Lord, well, you can deal with that today. I'll come back up in a little bit and we'll um, have some ministry. But for right now, just worship the Lord and we'll trust that If he is amazing, he can be amazing today at 11 o'clock in this room. So y'all can.